Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to, or welcome back, to Moments That Rock with me, your host, Tony Michaelidis. We're here every week with short, snappy little uh, nuggets from various people, from music industry insiders or artists, etc. This is an old colleague of mine, a guy called Bruno Tilly, an excellent creative art director who worked at the same time as I did at Island Records in the 70s and 80s. But we'll leave it to him to explain some of his monumental Moments That Rock. So I'm Bruno Tilly. Uh, I was at Island Records for 10 years as their, well, worked my way up to being their creative director from uh, starting out as a designer. And um, it was the dream job, changed my life, basically. I think Island was particularly unique, though. I mean, I, I, I've always wanted to design record covers anyway. And um, when I was at art college, my whole art show, the whole final degree show was just record covers. I was kind of destined to get into it in a way. Uh, but I got a lucky break and Island were looking for a designer. And um, I think somebody had dated somebody at my art college and they thought, oh, well, why don't we just go to you know St. Martin's? And uh, so they put out this ad and St. Martin's got in touch with me saying, you know, um, there's, a, there's a job going at Island Records. So I couldn't get down there fast enough, really. And um, showed my portfolio of record covers. And uh, it was actually the week that Ireland had, I think it was their first number one, The Buggles, Video Killed a Radio Star. And I always remember it because I went for the interview with Tim Clark. And uh, and I, after I'd seen him and shown him my work and everything, I came out and uh, his, his assistant or PA, Hazel Charrick was there and she said, she had a glass of champagne. She said, oh, we're celebrating the number one record. Would you like, uh, would you like to, a glass of champagne? So I sat down and had a, had a drink and watched all these other candidates going in for the interview while I was sitting there drinking champagne. That was a good start. That was a good start. Um, yeah, and I got, the, I got the job. So it was, a, it was like the dream job for me, really. So my first moment that rocked, I guess, was when I got the job at Island. And uh, in fact, the first ever project they gave me was to design a logo for Scar Music. And um, I remember because they, they said to me, like, you've got, uh, you know, when I, I just come out of art college from St. Martin's and normally they gave you like a couple of weeks to work on a project. And I said, well, when do you need this by? And they said, like, tomorrow. Which, which was a bit, um, which kind of hit me, but, but I worked through the night, got the job done, 
And uh, next thing I know is it's being printed, this logo that I designed, which was basically the word scar, but I made the, the, the letters resemble feet. So it's dancing characters. And uh, basically, they stuck that on the house bag and some ads. And, uh, but the best of all is they stuck it on a T-shirt, and which um, Bob Marley was in town, and he was playing football, and he was wearing the T-shirt with the first logo, my first logo, you know, first job. So it blew my mind, really. Um, so that wasn't a bad start. Um, did you actually? Um, did you actually meet Bob? I did, yeah. It was it was kind of funny, really, because he. Um, I remember I was wandering around the corridors of Ireland. I could hear this reggae music coming out of the rehearsal room, and I wandered down there. And I wandered into the room, and there was only like half a dozen people in there. And there was Marley and the band rehearsing for uh, what turned out to be um, this the gig at Crystal Palace. But I mean, I was sitting like three or four feet away from him while he, I remember him singing, practicing Redemption song and uh, rehearsing Redemption song. And I was, again, uh, the band were really tight. It was an amazing thing. So I kind of, I just hung out there for a few hours, you know, just while they rehearsed. And then I was sort of stunned because I knew who Marley was, but I didn't realize he was as big as he was. And it was kind of like um, the next day I went to the Crystal Palace Bowl and there was something like 20,000 people there, you know, and I'd, I'd been sitting four feet away from him um, the day before, and it kind of blew my mind, you know, the, how great the whole thing was, and, you know, you realise, oh, boy, I was in the presence of, this, you know, of the master here. And then, funny enough, that evening was when I came back into London and we went into we went to see... Um, you too, do a showcase for us. I was just going to say, I didn't go to that gig, but I heard from several colleagues from back in the day, because wasn't that around the uprising time and stuff? Because everybody knew that Chris Blackwell would be at the Marley gig, so they deliberately put you two <laughs> conveniently close to that, knowing that they could get him along to see you too. Because yes. obviously um, they were, uh, you know, the captain and everybody was after signing him and Annie Rosebury and Rob Partridge and all those people who were ambassadors for the band. But Chris didn't yeah. quite get him to start with, did he? No, I don't think he did. But I do remember previous to that, that, that Annie, I bumped into Annie Rosebury in the corridors of Ireland and she said to me she'd just come back from Ireland and she'd seen a band that could be bigger than the Boomtown Rats. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, is that possible? They were very raw, but they were. But there was an energy there. There was something special there. I, I, I loved them right from the start. You know, I set up an in-house art department, and one of the great things was we had a record player in the office, and we used to play play music. Uh, I got back in the day, I'd be playing white labels, and U two was one of the ones that got played regularly. You know, it was always uh, it was great, and also, I mean, with them initially, you know, they used to come over to. Uh, to London to see us, and um, they'd kind of hang, they'd hang out in the art department, and then uh, as their fortunes turned and they gained popularity, we used to have to go. And, well, I used to have to go and fly out to see them in in Dublin. It kind of all switched, you know. So, uh, but I do remember the thing about that band was it was it was great to be involved with something that was so successful really 
right from the, you know, like each gig grew and grew and grew. And they were a pleasure to work with because um, we really liked them as people. And Paul McGuinness was a great manager. So Fantastic, we kind of, yeah. We went the extra mile for them. Um, and, uh, and I do remember going to a Lyceum gig in the Strand. And I was told, somebody told me they've turned away 1,500 people, you know, which was extraordinary because previous to that, I'd been on seeing them play in various pubs with amps blowing up and, I mean, really right from the start, you know. I don't know they would be as big as they are with, with a label um, like an EMI or a Warner's because they probably would have been dropped. Yeah, it's true. That is very true. Because Well, that was the great thing about Island. We stuck with the artists. It wasn't necessarily going to happen on the first album. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I was at another moment with, with when I flew out to Dublin and they were recording The Unforgettable Fire. And um, I always remember Bono took me down to the studio where they were recording and they played back the track, The Unforgettable Fire, but he hadn't put a vocal on it. And he was saying to me, I'm not, he was actually saying, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do the vocal on this because it's just so incredible, the music anyway. And it, and it really was, you know, the production was... 
was mind blowing, really. Did you do the artwork on those um, album sleeves, you two? And uh, yeah, well, I did. I designed their. Um, I designed the first single covers, you know, for um, Eleven O'clock TikTok and Celebration and Fire. That was an amazing experience. Going backstage at Hammersmith um, to see them with a, what you call a chroning, which was a proof of, a, of the, the single Fire. And I was that, that was a mind-blowing moment because I went backstage after the gig and there was Pete Townsend and Bruce Springsteen there. And I I was I mean I I showed them the, the, the proof and they all stood around going, Yeah, that's great, man, yeah, it's really good. And all this. And I was like, I can't wait till I tell my friends about this. This is like uh, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, than the boss actually complimenting me on the cover. But they came in with ideas actually for for the covers. Uh, the boy cover was a bit of a problem because they had originally the image of the, the, the boy on it, the, the young boy, and I suddenly I got a call saying, we can't print this. Uh, it's this, It was a whole, right, I've never even heard of the word paedophilia, but they were worried about this this boy on the cover. There were some images on the back of the sleeve. They organised a photo session and they kind of provided those shots and I actually got them and and distorted them using photocopiers and things, you know, and and pasting it all together. I always remember going to the gigs and they printed it on T-shirts and everyone was wearing it. The fly posters was one of my favourite things because you'd be driving around London and... It was always like a competition who could do the best posters, you know, and and we always stood out because again that was the thing about Ireland they kind of really valued the art, you know. That's the impression I got. No, no one ever gave me a budget. Uh, I was just presented a band and told to get on with it. Somebody said to me, "All roads lead to Ireland," and I think I think um, I think they're right. What are your proudest moments with sleeves? I mean, did you put the artwork together for Legend with the photos that you were given type thing? That was interesting because that was Dave Robinson who come in and he, he'd had this idea to market research the project. So it was the first time we'd ever done that. It was very different to any other project I'd worked on. But um, it basically, I think we mocked up about half a dozen different record covers so we selected images that we thought would work. Um, one was this incredible shot by Annie Leibovitz of Bali with his arms out and hair flying everywhere. It was interesting because they'd market researched it across three different group age groups. And one of the things that really struck me was that the, in a way, people weren't used to dreadlocks. The public didn't, the, you know, because it was being marketed essentially, I suppose, for a very wide audience and kind of white audience in a sense that break it out and people they were very wary of dreadlocks so just we were told you know like that portrait of him can you kind of crop in on it a bit don't show too much of lots so we're going to sort of sell him as a singer-songwriter that was a genius move chris blackwell as well had this idea of promoting him as almost like a rock act because when you listen to those records they're classic singles and the way the whole thing was That's put right. together was pure genius. I interviewed Dave Robbo quite a few years ago, and he told me the story about his, his wife was pregnant at the time, and he was driving around listening to, listening to the tracks, 
And when the baby was kicking inside, yeah. he decided to move a track up to like, oh, we'll put that as the second track because the baby was moving when he heard that. <laughs> it was just a great story. Did you still do stuff like the B-52s and album sleeves like that? I did actually, yeah. I designed a lot of the, I designed a lot of the single covers. We put together this campaign. Um, in fact, it was the first time I met Chris Blackwell actually, was because we were the art department and everything was done by hand in those days, all pre-computers. So it took quite a long time to put artwork together. I remember I was playing music really loud. I mean, it's probably a U2 album, and I was blasting it away. And I turned and I was working on some B52 ads, um, some advertising for B52s. And uh, and I turned around and I said, and there was Chris Blackwell in the room, but I'd never met him before. And he just said something. He made a comment about the artwork and. Uh, because I'd, I'd actually found lots of 50s images, which was my father's had a collection actually of eight reference images and things. And I brought it into Ireland and I cut out all these old ads and collaged these images together for the covers. And I remember Chris saying something about one of the images, uh, don't associate with the B-52s or something. And I was like, all right. And I didn't know who he was because I'd never met him, but he... Uh, but I didn't even, I didn't hear him coming in the room because the music was so loud. But that was probably about eleven o'clock at night. I was there for ten years, so I was doing photo sessions, a couple of photo sessions a week, shooting, directing video. First video I directed was Buffalo Soldier. That was the official video. I'd said to the marketing guys, I used to do photo sessions quite regularly, and then I said I'd love to do some videos, but they were saying no, 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 you just do the record covers. And, so what I did was I, I took a Super 8 camera down to the vid, to the still shoots I was doing like with some of the jazz artists like Courtney Pine or you know, we did the Jazz Warriors and Andy Shepard and all these kind. And I used to shoot footage of the photo session um, and make these little video, black and white videos on Super 8, grainy Super 8 going in. And I'd get some time, I'd get some time in the editing room when they were cut together these videos, and then uh, I remember the Jazz Warriors, because there was probably about 30 of them in the thing, they couldn't actually put it on. They, they really liked the video I'd made, but they couldn't show it because the cost of the musicians' union would cost a fortune, apparently. There was some kind of, it was all unionised back then, and I wasn't even allowed to direct. It was kind of like, um, I used to use somebody else's name to put on it. Who had who had all the, the various certificates and things, you know? Because that was—it's it, crazy, really. But they, anyway, but they, but um, so I've made a whole series of jazz videos, which seemed to be well liked. And then uh, I remember Dave Domlio, who was the marketing yeah. director, came in and said, "Would you like to do um, Bob Marley's Buffalo Soldier?" So I got my brother to help me, who. We worked at Pinewood Studios. He was he was in special effects and that. And we shot it down near Pinewood at a place called Black Park, um, where they shot lots of horror films and things down there. But we got some horses in. I got uh, various reggae musicians, Brinsley from Aswad and King Sounds, and there was a guy called Mikey Campbell in there, and they all dressed up in Civil War gear and um, 
and uh, we shot the video. And I remember walking to a bar not long, not that long after. I remember going into this into this bar in Newark, and they had Buffalo Soldier playing on the TV. Uh, you know, and in, in this, I was thinking, wow, this is. And they had my name. They put your name on it back then. You know, on MTV, the director. It's, it's just sort of mind blowing, really. You know, not it's, just that you can go all the way in some yeah, some obscure place. That you, you know, and. and your name comes up on the screen. That's kind of interesting. Excellent stuff. Former art director at Island Records back in the day, Bruno Tilly. We'll be back next week with more Moments That Rock. Thank you for listening. My name's Tony Michaelidis, and Moments That Rock is part of the Pantheon Group of Podcasts. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.